Hey everybody, it's Ben from Making of a Millionaire. Welcome to our new experiment with audio at the Making of a Millionaire newsletter. So um, every Friday I'm going to be narrating my posts on Substack um, and I'm going to be adding in some ad libs where I can, but mostly it'll be a faithful reading of the article. Um, some people prefer reading or listening rather than reading and others. Um, the cool thing about Substack is you have your own unique link as a subscriber to have a private podcast feed in your favorite podcasting app. So click on that link. Um, it's in the newsletter and you can listen on the go to articles if you don't have time to read. I also do want to highlight two really important, um, changes to the paid subscription of the newsletter. So um, the first is the, we're continuing chapter by chapter release of The Rational Investor, which is my next book on investing. Next Wednesday is the chapter on cryptocurrency. So if you want to get my unfiltered thoughts on whether crypto belongs in a rational portfolio, check it out this Wednesday for paid subscribers. Number two, for paid subscribers, we are releasing the Financial Freedom Equation audiobook in podcast format. So there'll be a standalone podcast where each episode will be a chapter of the uh, the book, The Financial Freedom Equation. So if you are a paid subscriber, go check that out. If you're not a paid subscriber, please consider subscribing. If you can't afford it right now, what I would ask, and you enjoyed this newsletter, please just share the newsletter with a friend, share it on Twitter, do it. It helps a lot. And we have... We're coming up on 6,500 subscribers, and I want to make a big push to get to 10,000. You simply sharing this newsletter or this podcast episode helps a huge amount. So click the little share button and share it with a friend. Now on to today's topic, how to use financial rules of thumb to manage money. So managing money can feel overwhelming. Saving money, paying off debt, tracking your bill payments, saving for retirement and investing strategies. There is a lot to keep track of. <clears throat> and we all have more pressing things to worry about. It's things like our family and our careers. Not everyone has all day to think about money. The idea of a shortcut to simplify our money management is appealing to just about everybody, me included. And I am someone who thinks about this all day. So we do have shortcuts or rules of thumb that are intended to simplify personal finance. <clears throat> not all rules of thumb are created equal, and even the best rules of thumb have limitations. So this is a two-part guide to using financial rules of thumb. We're releasing part one today, and next Friday will be part two. <clears throat> now, I don't normally break a topic into multiple posts, but this ended up being way too long. I was about 3,000 words into this thing and nowhere near done, and no one wants a 5,000-word post unless you do. Let me know in the comments if you do. Rules of thumb associated with financial well-being. In 2020, Morningstar surveyed 867 people and studied how their use of financial rules of thumb impacted their financial well-being. This is a fascinating study as it's the first study I've seen that aims to pair the use of financial rules of thumb with financial well-being. They measured the use of rules of thumb across four personal finance categories. Number one was savings spending, investing, and the fourth was debt management. What I find slightly disappointing about the study was how basic the rules of thumb were that they used. So here's the rule of thumb that was the most correlated with financial well-being in each of the categories. For savings, it was to separate savings accounts from spending accounts. For 
spending it was don't spend more than you make duh investing was start early as possible and for debt management it was always pay your debts in full so on the one hand i look at that list and i think you know if everyone actually just simply followed those four rules of thumb we would all be a lot wealthier but on the other hand these aren't really what i think of when i think of a rule of thumb to me a rule of thumb should help guide your actions for instance take Start investing as soon as possible. That's nice, but a more useful rule of thumb would give you an idea of how much you should be investing depending on when you start and what your goals are. So here's some other popular rules of thumb that I have come across in the past. And I'm going to list seven of them, and we're going to cover the first three today. Those seven are the 4% rule and the 25 times rule. That's a rule of thumb for retirement savings. The rule of 110, which is for investing. The 36% rule, which is for debt management. The 1% rule for real estate investing. The 1% rule for home ownership. The 30% rule for housing costs. And the 5% rule, which helps you on the buy versus rent decision. I'll discuss how to use each of these rules of thumb and highlight each of their assumptions and limitations. As we highlight the flaws, I'll discuss whether each rule of thumb can be modified to be more useful or whether we should just discard it entirely. What all of these rules of thumb have in common is that they force you to think about an important financial topic. They actually force you to kind of think through the mechanics of it. So even if a rule of thumb does not give you the answer, it can act as a crucial first step to obtaining the answer. So enough rambling, let's get into it. Number one, the 4% rule and 25 times rule, a rule of thumb for retirement savings. You've probably seen me write about this issue quite a bit in the past, but if you're new to this, here's an overview of these two rules of thumb. The 4% and 25 times rules are two sides of the same coin that help answer two important retirement questions. Number one, how much do I need to save to retire? And number two, how much can I spend in retirement? The 25 times rule states that once you have saved 25 times your annual living expenses, you have enough money to retire. The 4% rule states that you can withdraw 4% of your ret retirement nest egg to fund your first year of retirement. Then in the following years, you increase how much you withdraw by the rate of inflation. You might notice the mathematical similarities between the 25 times rule and the 4% rule, where 1 divided by 25 is 4%. So here's an example of the 25 times and 4% rules. Let's say your projected annual living expenses in retirement were $40,000. Using the 25 times rule, you estimate that you would need $1 million, 40,000 times 25, before you can retire. Using the 4% rule, you estimate you could withdraw, wait for it, $40,000, which is 4% of 1 million, in your first year of retirement. For the rest of your retirement, you increase those withdrawals by the rate of inflation. So if inflation was 2%, then in year two of retirement, you would withdraw $40,800 from your retirement nest egg. Assumptions and limitations of the 4% rule and the 25 times rules. 
like any rule of thumb, the 4% and 25 times rules are an oversimplification of a complex issue. That's what a rule of thumb is. Address many of the very real problems that people face when saving for retirement. That's kind of what the idea is. We're trying to simplify all these problems into something digestible. But here are some really crucial assumptions and limitations you need to know. First of all, if you follow the 4% rule blindly, that's a very inflexible plan. The 4% rule advocates you increase your spending each year by the rate of inflation, regardless of what is happening in the economy or financial markets. It fails to deal with questions like, what if inflation is 8% rather than 2%? What if the market goes down by 50%? It also modeled a 50-50 portfolio of U.S. stocks and bonds. Now, that is a very specific asset allocation that does not include a global diversification. It also relies on historical U.S. market returns. And as anyone will tell you, past returns do not imply future returns. It also assumes a 30-year retirement, which is crucial. The 4% rule fails to answer a question like, what happens if you retire at 65 and live to be 120? It ignores taxes and investment fees. This is a perfect example of how, how plan can look great on a spreadsheet, but might have some bumps in real life. The next rule of thumb is the rule of 110, which is an investing rule of thumb. The rule of 110 is a rule of thumb that states that the amount of your portfolio you allocate to risky investments like stocks should be equal to 110 minus your current age. So if you're 20 years old and you're listening to this, the rule of 110 would say you should have a portfolio of 90% stocks, 10% bonds. A 60-year-old listening to this would have a portfolio of 50% stocks and 50% bonds. The basic premise behind the rule of 110 is that younger investors can more easily take risks compared to older investors. If you're decades away from retirement, you have a long time to recover if the stock market goes in the tank. On the other hand, if you are in retirement now and too much of your portfolio is in stocks, a market crash could be devastating to your retirement plans. Why I don't like the rule of 110. Every rule of thumb, by definition, makes a trade-off between simplicity and accuracy. That's really the big problem of a personal finance writer, too. Communicating a difficult thing while not making it so simple that it bends reality. Sometimes that trade-off is tolerable, especially if there are simple modifications that can be made to a rule of thumb to make it more accurate. The rule of 110 is too simplistic and only considers one factor, the investor's age. While the investor's age is an important factor to consider when choosing an asset allocation, asset allocation, I'll try that again, other important factors must be considered, like your risk tolerance, your job security, your if you have a workplace pension, do you have a side hustle? Do you have another uh, do you have a spouse who works? Do you have other streams of income? These are all things that can determine your asset allocation beyond your age, right? None of those are specific to your age. So using just a rule of thumb to blindly make an important decision like how much in stocks and bonds based purely off your age is too much. It's too simplistic. So rather than to use the rule of 110, why not take all the relevant factors into account? The ones we just talked about and other factors too when deciding your asset allocation. 
So Vanguard has created a questionnaire to help you get started on this. Again, this is a simplification too, but it's a pretty useful questionnaire to help you think about where you are in your financial life and where you should be allocated based off how you answer their questionnaire. Uh, I will link to that. It's If you're reading the newsletter, it's the, the it's hyperlinked in the newsletter. It's also linked in the description of the podcast. So in chapter six of The, Rel- of the Rational Investor, uh, I offer a different perspective on how much um, and how to determine how much to have in risky versus safe assets. From a, from a rational perspective, it comes down to balancing your human capital and financial capital. So a, a paycheck is like receiving a bond payment. And young people have a lot of paychecks left to collect. So they should have more stocks to balance out their total portfolio. The rational investor is only available to paid subscribers, I should add. So if you want a detailed explanation of this issue of um, using your um, the riskiness of your job and how many paychecks you have left to collect to determine asset allocation, um, you can become a paid subscriber. You can also get a seven-day free trial. I have a link to that in the newsletter, and I'll link to that in the podcast notes as well. Uh, so you can actually go get a seven-day free trial, binge read all the chapters we have on the Rational Investor so far, and then decide if you want to stick around for the ride after that. Okay, the final rule of thumb we're going to discuss today is the 30%, 36% rule to debt management. The 36% rule states that your total debt payments should not be more than 36% of your pre-tax income. That means if you make $10,000 per month before taxes, your monthly debt servicing costs shouldn't exceed $3,600. Easy for me to say. That would include your mortgage, if you have one, credit cards, car payments, or any other type of debt payment. Now, there's nothing magical about the 36% number, right? It's a rule of thumb. So to, to some degree, it is a little bit arbitrary. But so if you spend 40% of your income on debt, that doesn't mean that you're heading for the poorhouse. It's also not a license to rack up more credit card debt than you already have if you're below 36%. Ideally, you'll aim to pay all your debts off over time uh, and eventually spend 0% of your income on servicing debt. So it's not about getting to this specific number and being like, yes, I've made it. No, no, no. It's just a, a kind of arbitrary line in the sand that a lot of financial planners said, you know, if you're at 36%, you're doing okay. If you're above that, you're kind of reaching a danger zone. And if you're the further you get below 36%, the the more cash flow you probably have to spend on buying stuff or investing, spend it on investing. So, but if nothing else, so what I like about the 36% rule is that it forces you to ask a question, how much of your income do you spend on servicing debt? No, seriously, do you know the answer to that? If not, I'm going to give you a homework assignment, which is to round up all your monthly statements and divide your total debt payments by your pre-tax income and figure out what percentage of your pre-tax income is going to servicing debt. If you feel comfortable sharing, you can post it in the comments. Like the rules of thumb we've been discussing, I've picked this to be a bit of an arbitrary ending point. I said we have seven rules of thumb to get to, but as you can hear or are reading, uh, we've already spent quite a bit of time getting through the first three. 
So stay tuned next Friday, where I will release part two of our discussion on rules of thumb. If you have a comment or a question, please leave it below. And again, if you enjoy this newsletter, please share it on Twitter, forward it, forward it in an email to a friend, or just by word of mouth, let somebody know about it. Uh, tell them the Google Making a Millionaire Substack. It helps a ton, and we are on our way to 10,000 subscribers, and I, I really appreciate your help in getting there. That's going to do it for me this week, and I will be excited to chat with you guys again next week. Over time, I will be refining the use of this audio. This um, might be a crude first attempt, but we're going to improve it as we go. What I really want is just to be able to have that extra connection with readers and to give you the option to listen if you prefer. Anyway, have a great weekend, everybody, and we'll talk to you again next Friday.